0: Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. Prove it is like the ultimate like ace card if you're on the playground, right? If you're like having playground games and you're teasing the other kids and somebody says, you know, they're this fast or they know how to throw the ball this far and you say, prove it then you really have to bring it. Or if you're like in a debate or an argument with something, it's the statement that leaders make to, uh, to their teams that I think great bosses make to their teams when they bring ideas and they bring out the best in their team when they say, that's fine, prove it. Prove to me how that idea is gonna work. Prove to me what it means to kind of step up to the plate. Prove to me how you can get me the result that you say you're gonna get. Prove it. But God is resetting kind of all of our, our prove it moments, isn't he? God is resetting all of our metrics. Last week we started a series called I Need a New Metric, and we talked about how God started walking Gideon through a space where he retooled the metric that Gideon was living his life by, and he reset what Gideon thought that he could measure his life by, and instead of Gideon living his life lined up on the words and the statements of his community or of his culture or even what he believed and said about himself. Gideon had to learn how to align his life with what it was that God was saying about him and what God was declaring over him. Gideon had to learn how to adjust the metric of his life, not judging by the quantity of who he had with him, but the quality of who he had with him. God said to Gideon, it is not the breadth of your army that's going to win this battle. It's the depth of your army that is going to win this battle. And Gideon had to go through this incredibly excruciating process of being reformed and reformed as God reset that metric. And the desire to prove it is in all of us, to have something that we look to, that we say, this is the thing, this is the reason, this is how I can tell you that I am able to, that I am good enough We love to live our lives like we are continually on an interview, coming up and saying, let me give you my list of reasons. Let me tell you how I can prove myself. But just like everything else, I believe God is resetting our metric in this season. Father God, I thank you for your living word. I thank you for your people who are gathered together together. Thank you that you are speaking to us, that you care enough about us not to leave us as we are, but to form us, to change us, to walk us into your pathways. I ask you to speak through me today. I ask you to give us ears to hear, and I ask you to let your word be planted deep in our lives and produce fruit in the days to come. God, everything that's you, let it remain, and everything that's just us, let it be forgotten. In your mighty, powerful, awesome name, amen. Why don't you turn with me to Mark 10? Because there's a story of a young man who was doing pretty good with his life and felt like he knew how to prove it to the people around him. He felt like he could prove it to Jesus with all of his accolades, with all of his obedience. And Mark 10, starting in verse 17, this is often referred to as the story of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus, it says, And he was setting out on a journey, that's Jesus. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, "'Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth.' And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, "'You lack one thing. "'Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, "'and you will have treasure in heaven. "'And come follow me.' Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions.'" What is Jesus doing in this story with this man? This man that comes to him and honestly is earnestly seeking to know, God, what is it that I can do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't come to him arrogantly. The man comes to him and falls on his knees in front of Jesus in public. In the public square in front of other people, he puts himself in a vulnerable position, in a lower position. It is apparent in the scripture that he is earnestly earnestly asking Jesus what is it that I need to do to be saved how can I prove that I am worth it how can I prove that I am good enough how can I prove that I have made it how can I prove that I am deserving of eternal life the issue is the entire premise of his question is wrong The entire premise of the question he is asking Jesus is flawed because he is coming to Jesus asking, what is it that is in my hands? What is it that is in my power so that I can earn eternal life? And Jesus is coming to reset that metric for him and say, you can't prove it. There is nothing that you can do that will prove that you are worthy of this eternal relationship with the Father God. And so while the ruler's uh, question comes from an earnest place and from a sincere place, he cannot be counted, he cannot prove what he is needing to prove, what he's wanting to prove to Jesus. And even if it's from a sincere place, It's not the right question. It reminds me as well of a Pharisee who asked a similar question, although his was not from a sincere place. The Pharisee asked a similar question, desiring to find the loophole in the equation. In Luke 10 and 29, we see the story of a Pharisee who comes to Jesus, and it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? What does that mean? It means this Pharisee, this teacher of the law, this studier of the law, this devout religious leader in their community came to Jesus saying, I would like to be able to prove myself. This comes after, if you're familiar with the story, when Jesus says to him, Love your neighbor as you love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. We know that this is kind of the central key message that Jesus comes to declare. And the Pharisees already knew that this was really a central part to the law that they practiced and that they followed. But then he says, He wants to prove himself, He wants to prove it, He wants to be able to give the list of the neighbors that he has loved as himself and he also wants to be able to scratch off the list of the group of people that he doesn't have to pay quite so much attention to and it says he desired to prove himself and this is where Jesus goes into a long drawn out story to answer him If you have ever been in the position where you have asked someone a question that you felt like was a simple yes or no response, and they gave you a lengthy story in in their answer to this, I hear that sometimes husbands might feel this way about the ways that their wives respond to them. I have heard that my husband sometimes feels this way about the way that I answer him when he says, how was your day today? And it seems like good or not so good would be a sufficient answer, but instead I go into a lengthy response. Ladies, I have good news for you. You can find solace in the fact that Jesus often answered what seemed like a simple yes or no question with a long, drawn-out story. And that's what he does to this Pharisee here. Pharisee says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes into what we now call the story of the Good Samaritan, or the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story about a man who gets beat up, and leaders go by him, who the people Jesus was telling this story to would have looked up to in great and high regard. And these leaders don't come to help this man. They don't cross to the other side of the road. In fact, they cross to the other side specifically to avoid him, but instead a Samaritan, someone that in this culture, in this context, they would have looked down on, is the person who comes to the other side, who comes to the aid of the person needing aid. And Jesus is making the point, who is the neighbor? Who is behaving like a neighbor in this story? And the reason that I think it's so important that Jesus uses both of these stories in connection with this answer, with this question of how do I prove myself, how do I justify myself is first off because it becomes apparent to me that even though Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, that he is not calling all of his people to a life of poverty. How do I know this? Because the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, do you remember how it ends? It ends with the Samaritan leaving the man who had been harmed at an inn. And he says to the innkeeper when he leaves, whatever this man needs, take care of it. And when I come back, I will cover the bill for it. You cannot say, take whatever this man needs, bill it up, and I'll cover the bill for that if you are living in a life of poverty. It says to me that this man was living in a position of wealth, enough wealth that he said, don't worry about it, I'll cover it when I come back. He is speaking to them not about whether or not the wealth is part of the equation, but where the position of the wealth has in their life. He is speaking to them about how they are using the tool and the thing that God has given them. He is speaking to them about what it means to be a neighbor when they ask themselves how can i prove myself to you jesus says i have a new metric in line for you see the six things that he lays out for the first man the young man who came and earnestly asked him he lays out six different things that he says do these things and the man says i've done those things what were those six things they were don't murder That seems pretty easy to be able to maintain. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And honor your father and your mother. These six things would have been familiar to this young man because these six things are six of what we now refer to as the Ten Commandments. They are kind of the pinnacle of the Mosaic Law. They are the foundational elements. And if you look, At the Ten Commandments, they are broken into two segments. You have the first four and then you have the last six. The first four deal with our relationship with God how we relate to God. They are the ones about not bearing idols, about keeping the Sabbath, about not taking the Lord's name in vain, and about not having any gods before God. Those are the first four. And then the next six move into how are you handling your relationship with your fellow people. How are you handling your relationships with one another? Once we have a relationship, a functioning relationship with God in proper priority, the next question is, how are you dealing with one another? More specifically, how are you serving one another? Jesus says, the question to me is not, can you prove through your ticked off boxes that you have kept the law, that you have kept the commandment, the metric that he came to reset for this man is how are you serving one another? The metric that he was trying to reset for this Pharisee is not, have you kept every single element of the law? Have you put yourself in a position where you can roll off a resume list of why you believe that you are worthy enough or proved enough. You are not able to prove it. What I want you to do is to serve one another. The metric of the old time, the metric that Jesus was coming to shatter is a metric that says, what can I do to achieve it? What can I grow to say that I'm good enough? What can I build to be strong enough? What is the next opportunity that I can step into and come and be a part of? And Jesus said, I want you to set that metric aside because you cannot prove it through these metrics. I want you to instead step into a metric that says, how can I serve? How can I add value? How can I increase the people that are around me? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, life's most persistent question is what am I doing for others? Not how am I growing, not how am I building, not how much have I accumulated. What am I doing for others? Have you ever experienced really great service? Like excellent, incredible service. I was thinking about it a little bit earlier this week. Phil and I went out to eat at a restaurant, which is a thing that we have not been doing much in 2020 and we realized how much we missed. And earlier this week we went out and we caught up with uh, another some friends of ours who are pastors at another part of town and the four of us got dinner together at a restaurant. And while we were there, I was thinking about how great it is to have really incredible service. Maybe you've had really incredible service at a restaurant, or maybe you've been at a store somewhere where you just think they have incredible customer service, or maybe that's your role at your job is really increasing the level of care and service you have for the customers that you're serving. There's something about great service that changes the entire dynamic of an experience. When you're having great service, it changes the atmosphere in that place, doesn't it? You can almost walk into a a place that has great service and feel it in the air. It's in the way that people respond to you. Have you ever gone somewhere where you've had bad service? I have this place that I go to sometimes and it's like they're always inconvenienced that I came to buy food from them. Like they look at you and they're like, yeah. I mean, do you want that? I'm like, you feel bad? You're like, I mean, you had it on the menu, so if someone could make it for me, yes, I would really appreciate that. In comparison to where if you go somewhere where they have great service, it is like they are ready to roll out anything they can do for you. They make you feel so honored. They make you feel so glad that that you're there. Like this is the best thing that has ever happened to them in the day that you would show up. Great service has the power to change the atmosphere around us. It has the power to change the way the people that we're connected with feel about themselves. In an atmosphere, of service we're a little bit more forgiving when things don't always come up right if you're in a place where they have bad service and your meal comes out and it wasn't done right you're like and now this too they brought out the wrong food and I specifically asked them not to put tomatoes on my thing. And can you believe they brought tomatoes on it? If you're in a place where they've had great service and they happen to forget to not put the tomatoes, you're like, hey, excuse me. It's, it's like it brings out your manners as well. I'm so sorry to bother you with this, but if someone could potentially bring me something without tomatoes, it makes everyone around you better. When we serve one another, we serve each other in this metric of what God has called us to, not to to bring ourselves up to a higher level and not to uh, strive for proving all of the things that we are capable of, but rather to serve each other. And when we serve each other, we draw the best out of each other. He is trying to teach both of them, the earnest and the one trying to find the loophole that it's not about the things that you can add up. It's not about the things that you can list out. It's about the way that you can serve one another another. And part of what I love about serving one another is that Jesus makes it so easy for us when he explains for us how to do it. See, the biggest hindrance we have to serving one another is how easy it is for us to think about ourselves. I can think about myself all day, every day. Morning, noon, and night, I can think about me. It takes zero effort for me. It takes zero really flexibility, strengthening. I wake up and I immediately think, about me. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I kind of would like to stay in bed right now. I wonder what I've got going on today. Immediately, my thoughts go where? To me. It is my human proclivity to think about myself. And so when Jesus is teaching us how to serve one another, he says, that's not a problem. Let's work with what we've got here. Every time you think about yourself, do for somebody else. Luke 6.31, it says, and, you, and, and as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them come on even if you haven't grown up in church you've probably heard it it's often referred to as the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you broken down simply it means every time you think about yourself i wish someone would for me do for somebody else Jesus gives us this perfect metric for exercising the new metric of serving one another, which is every time you think about yourself, do it for someone else. When I think about myself, I wish that someone would help me uh, with my kids. Why don't I find someone else to help with their kids? When I think about myself, I wish that I had more that I could be building with. Why don't I find someone else to serve and to create and help reach their dreams? Every time I think about myself, instead of trying to grow and accumulate, I turn that into service for someone else. When you think about you, do for others. It's such a simple concept, but it takes our whole life to readjust this metric in our life and say, how am I going to not live on what I can prove, but instead live on what I can serve? When Jesus comes to reset a metric, he goes all the way with it. And when Jesus came and entered the scene of time and space on earth, he came specifically to reset the metric that they were living by. Up until this point, they were living by a prove-it metric. A metric that said, what can I do to say that I deserve entry into the kingdom of God? What can I do to say to earn the forgiveness of my sins, to earn forgiveness for the things and the places where I know that I have come short? And he gives them this entire law and this entire metric. And Jesus comes to say, it's not that you can prove it. The point of the law, the point of the Old Testament covenant was to prove to them that you can't prove it, was to make an evidence of the fact that it is not through the things that you do, but it's the way that you serve. Further down in Mark 10, Jesus says it this way about himself. He said, for even the son of man, it's a title that he uses to refer to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give us the picture of what it looks like to live a life of serving others. Of what it looks like to live a life poured out for one another of what it looks like to live a life that's not about accumulating tallies so that we hope we reach a benchmark where we can prove that we are justified enough and holy enough to be entered into the presence of God, but instead a life that says, let me live my life thinking about pouring it out to others. And if we want the kind of lives and the kind of strength in our world that we say we want in our lives and in our world, we have to start to take on the kind of metric that Jesus gave us. We have to kind of try to take on the new metric, not of proving and of thinking about myself, but of pouring out and of serving others, the kind of metric that draws out the best in other people, the kind of metric that changes and shapes the atmosphere and the community and the culture that we we live in in the midst of a culture that says let me build my worth let me make sure i take care of myself let me make sure that my needs are satisfied let me make sure that my family is built up let me make sure that my picture and my platform looks good enough to achieve whatever benchmark it is that i've set for myself jesus says i have a different kind of metric for you and it's about serving you want a strong marriage serve your spouse You want a strong business? Serve your employees. Serve your customers. You want a strong career? Serve your boss that God has placed you under. You want a strong community? Serve the least in your community. Not looking for accolades. Not looking for things that can build up your resume or mark down your volunteer service hours, but to serve those who are among you. To serve the people who are in your community. You want a strong church that shakes the gates of hell, that declares heaven is coming to earth, that draws in the unbelievers, that sees lives restored, that sees healings. Serve in your church. Serve one another. It is not all of the things. It is not all of the lights. It is not all of the things that we preach. It is not all of the words that we sing. All of those things are what? Resounding gongs, clanging cymbals. If we do not have the practical, outworking of our love which is service one to another how do we serve you want it stronger serve there when we serve in God's kingdom when we serve one another we will see lives restored and service and and spiritual strength rising up in the people around us because we have served one another But we still have this question on the table, this question about why is it that Jesus told this young man to sell everything that he had and follow him? A man with a good heart after Jesus who had kept the law since he was a young man who came earnestly seeking God. What is it that I can do to inherit eternal life? How do I prove it? Because the culture that I'm in tells me that I need to prove it. What we have to understand is that in this moment in time, in his Jewish context, the the evidence of his blessing, the evidence that God was pleased with him was often seen in the wealth that he had accumulated. In the culture that he lived in, they would have looked and said, because you have been blessed with great wealth, because you have been given great physical, financial security in this world, it must be an external sign that God is pleased with you. Everywhere that he went, when he was there in his fine robes, when he was there with potentially his servants that walked with him, whatever his household looked like, those things were external symbols to the people around him and to him that he believed that God was pleased with his life. He found confidence in his wealth that he was in right relationship with God. What Jesus was trying to communicate to him, what Jesus was trying to reset in his life is that anything that gives you confidence that you are in right relationship with God that is outside of your following, Jesus is a thing that has been placed in the wrong position in your life. It is a false, illegitimate metric that you are using to judge your life, to try and prove your life by this thing that you think makes you worthy. I think if there is a theme for this year. It is that God is trying to shatter every false metric, every illegitimate measurement that we have used that says, because I... Therefore, I am in right relationship with God. We have used all kinds of external things, and I keep hearing it over and over again. And before we exit this year, God wants to reset the metric of our life and say it is not all of your external things. Things that have brought you into right relationship with me. It's not how many times you can come to a church building in a week. It's not how many things you have shown up for in something that you've signed up for in your community. It is not all of the things that you sing. It is not all of the places that you go. It is not all of your financial wealth. It's not the business that you think you're building. All of these things may come to you when you are in right relationship with God. But too often we lean on them and we look to them and we point to them as the evidence that we are in right relationship with God. Look how healthy my kids are. I must be in right relationship with God. Look how successful my business was. I must be in right relationship with God. Look how together my marriage is. I must be in right relationship with God. Look how great my financial security is. I must be in right relationship with God. Look how fashionable I am. I must be in right relationship with God. We have confused trendiness with righteousness. You are not trendy enough to get into the kingdom of God. It is your righteousness beforehand and your righteousness that can only be achieved through Christ Jesus alone, not by anything that you have done, but not by any works of your hands. You cannot prove it by anything that you've done. You just walk into his presence. We think the strongest statement that Jesus made to this young man is go sell everything and give it to the poor. And it shows us how out of position our own metrics are. The strongest thing Jesus said to that young man was not go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. The strongest thing he said to him was and follow me. But we're so hung up on our fake metrics that we think that this is the thing that God is speaking to us about when really it's the barrier he's trying to get out of your way so that you can follow him. What is the false metric in your life that you are so busy chasing after, so busy holding on to, so busy trying to maintain so that everyone else around you knows that you are in right relationship with God, and if you could just let that thing go, you would be able to follow so much more closely alongside Jesus. Follow after him. The sad part of the scripture is not that he didn't sell everything that he had. The sad part of the scripture is that he didn't follow follow Jesus we need to follow Jesus with everything that we have and strip ourselves of every false metric we break those things down in our life when we serve one another because it's not what we do with our own hand it's not how we prove it Galatians 3, 10 and 11 says it like this. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It means if you are trying to keep up with the law, you have to keep up with every single part of it. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament. There is a lot of things to keep up with in there. It's easier to just say that we are justified through our relationship with God. The scripture goes on to say, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Instead, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans three twenty one says it another way. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, separate from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. You come into right relationship with God not by what you can prove, not by what you do, not by external things that we put our confidence, our trust, and our evidence in to try to declare our own righteousness, but through faith in Christ Jesus alone in his finished, complete work of the cross that he came not to be served, but to serve and to be the ultimate service in laying down his life for us. Serving is ultimately answering the question, where is there a need that I can fill? When Jesus looked and asked the question, where is the need that I can fill? He said, you are incapable of completing this need on your own, of being a perfect human who creates a perfect sacrifice and declares that you are worthy to come into continual relationship with God. So since that is a need that you cannot prove on your own, he came to serve in the highest way possible by fulfilling the need that we could not fulfill for ourselves and serving as that sacrifice. Living a perfect, flawless life and laying down his life in our exchange. If you have been living under the thought that you are gonna come into right relationship with God when you do enough, when you are able to prove that you are worthy to be in right relationship with him, I have great news for you today. You can't prove it. You will never be able to prove that you are worthy. You will never be able to prove that you are justified. But he doesn't ask you to. He says, I know you can't prove it, so instead, I'm gonna prove it on your behalf. Instead, I am gonna serve the people of God by coming and being that exchange. And all we have to do is respond to it. Accept him into our lives and live a life of serving one another. If you're in this room and you'd stand with your feet to me, I want to create an opportunity right now for people who have never said, you know what, I want to live in that space of a right relationship with God. You've been living in the place, maybe you're online, maybe you're in the room. You have been living in the place of saying, I don't know how I could ever earn God's love. I don't know how I could ever earn his approval. I don't think that I'm ever going to be good enough. I know that I can't prove it. And what I want you to hear so clearly is that he proved it for you. You simply acknowledge that. And through your belief are ushered into the presence of God for forever. To be in right relationship with Him. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray this prayer all together. The reason I want us to pray it together is because it builds a little bit of strength and confidence to hear people saying it around you, but also because when you pray this prayer, you are welcomed home into the family of God. And when you have moments of doubt through the rest of this week about whether or not God really welcomed you home, I want you to hear the voice and the sound of the family of believers around you who are the people of God walking this journey together. All of us finding our space in him. If you're on that journey and you can testify that it is a continual learning to draw closer to him. Can I just hear an amen real quick? Come on. Let me say it like this. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your life. For your death. For your resurrection. And I ask you to come into my life. Show me how to live like you live. Teach me your ways, God. Thank you for welcoming me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, some people just came home, church. We are believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely, if God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I wanna encourage you to jump on over to our website which is simply cornerstone.church and click the give button, find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right, we are gonna continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.